Good evening. Welcome to Beijing Diary. This is Eric in Beijing. Tonight, I want to talk to you about why a woman cannot be elected president. Now, I want to emphasize that I'm talking particularly about the United States. This podcast episode is not about why a woman cannot be elected as a national leader. As we know, women have been elected as national leaders in several countries. This is only about why a woman cannot be elected president of the United States. Also, this is not a, a, a values discussion. This is not a discussion about why a woman should or should not be elected president. That's a, an important discussion to have, and uh, I certainly am not uh, hesitant to express my opinions about it. But it's not appropriate at this point because. If you talk about should or shouldn't, if you start talking about values before you've understood the, the mechanics of it, then you have people making superficial statements like Americans are not ready for a, a woman president, which is nonsense. Uh, <clears throat> but it's the kind of observations that arise out of a poor understanding of the the situation. So I'm only going to explain this in in this episode why a woman cannot be elected president. The second discussion would be: Should a woman be allowed to be elected president? And if the answer to that is yes, the third discussion would be: What needs to be done to change the system so that a woman can be elected as president? But tonight we're only going to be talking about the first part. So. If you, after I explain this to you,、uh, if you say that's really terrible, well, okay, whatever. If you say that's great, well, okay, whatever. But if you say I still don't get it, then I'm going to be upset. <laughs> But I don't think that'll happen. I think you will understand after we、uh, finish this podcast episode. Some of you will like it. Some of you will hate it, but all of you will understand it. That's my objective: is merely to help you understand why a woman cannot be elected president of the United States. Now, there are two aspects to this. As I said in this episode, I don't want to be talking about the, the values of you know should a woman be president or should a woman not be president. I don't want to talk about that. I only want to explain to you why it cannot happen at this point. But of course, the reason why it cannot happen does involve values, because what people believe about this issue certainly is part of why a woman cannot be elected president. But we are not going to、uh, take a position on that. We're not going to argue for or against those positions. We're just going to try to understand them. So there are two aspects to this problem. There are two reasons why a woman cannot be elected president of the United States. The first has to do with the mechanics of the American political system, and the second has to do with the values of the people. I'm going to explain both of these to you. So, I, I want to do this、uh, start by way of comparison. I'm, what I'm going to do in this podcast episode, I'm going to compare the American system with two other countries. One is the UK and the other is、uh, Germany. 
And the reason I'm going to compare with those two countries because is because both of those countries have elected very strong leaders who were women. And the contrast between the American political system and the political system in those two countries is quite striking. And it has a lot to do with why a woman cannot be elected president. So let me try to explain this. In a parliamentary system, there's no executive branch. The prime minister is the leader of the leading party in the, what we call Congress, but what is called Parliament in the UK, and what is it in Germany? Is this the Bundestag? I don't know. Anyway, I'm not really that familiar with the German system, but I am familiar basically with parliamentary systems of government. So just remember that, okay, in a parliamentary system of government, there's no separate executive branch. The prime minister is the head of the leading party in the legislative body. In the American system, the president is elected separately. So you can actually have a Republican president and a Democratic Congress. You can have a Democratic president and a Republican Congress. What does this produce? It produces gridlock, what we call gridlock. The Congress votes a bill, the president vetoes it, sends it back. If there's enough support, maybe they can uh, override the veto. But many, many times they pass a bill, it's vetoed. They pass a bill, it's vetoed. They pass a bill, it's vetoed. So a lot of bills get written, but very few get passed. In a parliamentary system, it's inconceivable that the prime minister wouldn't <laughs> approve a bill that his own party had passed. I mean, there, there are issues of conflict, but generally speaking, the government, which is the party in power, passes the the the, the bills has has the, has the authority to to pass to, to to create law. But the other thing about the parliamentary system is that it is the party in the legislative body that chooses the prime minister. The prime minister is chosen by his party or her party. So how do you get to be prime minister? You've got to run for office, be elected to parliament. Le uh, the legislative body is called the parliament in, uh, in Britain and uh, the House of Commons, basically. Parliament includes the House of Commons and the House of Lords. But the House of Lords is really, um, what should I say, I was taking my daughter through the uh, the provincial uh, legislature in uh, the province of uh, British Columbia in Victoria many years ago, summer of 1988, and the uh, they their their system mirrors the uh, national system. So the tour guide uh, referred to the House of Lords as the and I don't know if they call it the House of Lords. They may have called it the Senate, like uh, the, the national government does in Canada. It's not a Senate like the United States Senate. It's actually a House of Lords that they call a Senate. And she called it the body of sober second thought. And I thought that was a pretty good description of how the House of Lords functions. So the House of Commons, in, in, in the UK, the House of Commons passes a bill. The House of Lords looks at it, and may, they might send it back and say, well, could you take a look at this part and, you know, maybe examine this? 
But basically, it's the House of Commons that makes law. And uh, in the House of Commons, the ruling party will choose the prime minister. So what does that mean? If you want to be prime minister, you've got to run for office, you've got to be elected to parliament, and you've got to work, work your way up through the system and gain the respect of your party. Now, in America, there's lots of talk about the politician being, not being the choice of the establishment. And that was certainly the case with Donald Trump. Uh, that's what the Never Trump movement was about. Uh, talking about you know how he can be elected president and bypass the the Washington establishment, the the Republican establishment. Uh, I recall in one of the debates, uh, Mayor Pete uh, talking about, you know, he he said if you if you want the candidate with the all the Washington experience, you know, you know it's not me. So what is he doing? Is actually boasting about the fact. He's wearing his ignorance and his lack of experience as a, well, he wouldn't say his ignorance, but certainly his lack of experience as a badge of honor. You see, in America, we, we've almost almost got to the point where we think it's better to elect someone who's not part of the party establishment. Well, in a parliamentary system, that's out of the question. You've got to be part of the establishment. You wouldn't be there. You wouldn't, you, you, you're, you're in the parliament, the parliament, the, the established party people within the parliament choose you. So let's look at uh, a few examples of American elections and how this difference, this this fundamental difference, you know, anybody can run for president. Well, not anybody. You have to be a natural-born citizen, and you have to be over 35 years old. But, you know, the, the strict minimal technical requirements just about any citizen can meet now you know the process is grueling so it's not i'm not saying anyone could be be president but you can say you're going to run for president so donald trump again is a very handy example you can have someone who has absolutely zero political experience never held any public office in his life uh seriously uh, doubted and questioned by the party establishment in the Congress, and yet he becomes the president because of his ability to appeal directly to the people. That is unprecedented, and that is very unique among Western democracies. So let's look at a few examples over the, the uh, years of America's history. And I'll start with uh, Abraham Lincoln. In a parliamentary system, would Abraham Lincoln have been able to become president? How in the world? It's unthinkable. One-term congressman? Are you kidding? Now, in Lincoln's case, it's a little different because he was the candidate for the Republican Party, and the Republican Party was new. He was the first candidate for the Republican Party. So I suppose it's conceivable that the party being brand new and so small that he could have been chosen. But it's very doubtful that a one-term congressman would be the person selected by the members of that party in the legislative body to be the presidential candidate. Uh, let's see who else. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt, dynamic leader. Lincoln, of course, a very dynamic leader. Teddy Roosevelt, a dynamic leader. 
is it conceivable that he could have been chosen as the uh, choice uh, of his party? Not very likely. Now, he had been in the New York State Assembly, but, you know, they pushed him out. They wanted to get him out of New York politics, and they, they pushed for him to become vice president just to get rid of him. <laughs> and, uh, and then, was it McKinley, the president, that, that he replaced? Anyway, the president dies, and T.R. is now the president, and Mark Hanna, the political boss in New York, is saying, oh, man, now that blink-and-wink cowboy is president of the United States. <laughs> It's 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 unthinkable. There is no way Teddy Roosevelt would have become prime minister under a parliamentary system. Uh, well, let's see if we fast forward to uh, well, let's uh, let's look at uh, uh, John F. Kennedy. He was a senator. He was a up and coming member of the Congress. I think there's a very good possibility that he could have been chosen as as the prime minister if it were a parliamentary system, but not at the time that he was. He would have had to be in that uh, legislative body probably a few more years to be the person selected to be the prime minister. Um, LBJ, yes. He's probably the one person in, that I think of as who would be the most likely to be chosen by his party as the prime minister, because he was a very experienced and gifted legislator, well-known in his party, and uh, generally quite admired by his party. He, he probably would have been, could have become the national leader in a parliamentary system. Uh, Ronald Reagan, no way, no way. Can you imagine Ronald Reagan running for, oh, I don't know, representative from some district in California? I mean, it just uh, it just wouldn't happen. There's no way Ronald Reagan would be able to become the national leader if America had a parliamentary system. Uh, let's see. I, I don't think Clinton would either. A small a governor of a small state. Uh, so you know, there's I just it's just extremely unlikely. Obama, no way. Now, now Obama's one case where, if you figure, you know, maybe another ten years, fifteen years, twenty years, yeah, I think he could have been chosen as a prime minister. He was a member of the Senate and a very gifted orator, and a, you know, generally well liked by his party, not necessarily liked by others, but. Generally well liked by his party, I, I think there's. A, it's conceivable that at some point he would have been chosen to be the prime minister, but not not when he was, not at the time that he was. He was a freshman senator. There's no way. And of course, <laughs> the maverick, maverick of all mavericks, Donald Trump. Not in a chance in a million. I mean, maybe if no, I, I, I no. There's just no way. There's no way. I mean, can you imagine Donald Trump running for? I can't imagine him running for any office. Senator, he, he just wouldn't do it. You know, you have to, in a parliamentary system, you have to work your way up through your party, gain the respect of your party in the legislative body. That's a process that takes years. And then you become the prime minister. Now, is this a good thing? 
Well, uh, the American system does allow for extraordinary uh, dynamic leaders who just sort of come out of nowhere and have extraordinary leadership gifts allows them to become the leader of the country. But, of course, you also have the opposite, you know. A system like the American one would allow, could allow an extraordinary bad person also to become president. So let's take a look at Abraham Lincoln. Do you think he was a great leader? Well, if you do, then you should be glad for the American system because he never would have become the leader of the country if the uh, United States had a parliamentary system of government with a prime minister. But now, you know, we've sort of uh, grown up with the idea that Lincoln is one of the greatest presidents, and we have that sort of uh, feeling about it. But he had a lot of enemies at the time. Years ago, I had a good friend uh, in North Dakota. He was originally from the South. He was from North Carolina. And every time I mentioned Lincoln, he had one statement. I'm not sorry Lincoln was shot. I'm just sorry he wasn't shot four years earlier. <laughs> and But he freed us. I'm not sorry Lincoln was shot. I'm just sorry he wasn't shot four years earlier. <laughs> there were people who didn't like him. We don't think about that now, but there were people who didn't like him. And, of course, if we look at the modern example, Donald Trump, you know, do you think he's a great president? Then you should be glad for the American system. Do you think he's a terrible president? Then you should wish that America had a parliamentary system because there is not a chance in a million that he would be the leader of the country under a parliamentary system. So am I saying then that parliamentary systems can never have dynamic leaders? No, not really, because a person, you know, the fact that a person is, uh, whether it are, let me put it this way, the person, whether or not a person is the establishment politician is not necessarily uh, directly related to whether or not that person can be considered a dynamic leader. A good example in the, the UK is uh, Winston Churchill. Now, Winston Churchill was, in many ways, an establishment politician. He'd been in politics for many years. During the 40s, he was a backbuncher in Parliament. He, he'd been around for a long time, but he wasn't really regarded as a leader by the established uh, party. So then how did a uh, non-establishment backbuncher in Parliament become the prime minister of the country? And the answer is World War II. As I said, during the 40s, Churchill was a backbencher in Parliament. In other words, he had a seat, but he, was, well, he really wasn't doing anything. But that wasn't his history. He had been, uh, he was uh, Lord of the Admiralty. Is it the Admiralty, they call it, I think, in the UK? Anyway, it's, it's essentially the same as the, it correlates to the American Secretary of Defense. And he, he came up with a scheme to go through the Dardanelles, you know, in, in Turkey. And uh, they hit a mine or something. Anyway, the, the, local person uh, on the scene panicked and they backed out and the whole thing fell apart and Churchill took the hit. He was removed from his position by Asquith, the Prime Minister. And in my opinion, I don't think that situation was was uh, 
Churchill's fault. But think about it in the United States. What would happen if a Secretary of Defense is fired or removed or, you know, any cabinet officer? What happens to them? They'll go get a job as an executive uh, with some company, or they might run for Congress again. You know what Churchill did? He demanded to be given a commission and <laughs> sent to the front. <laughs> he, Churchill said one time, a man's life must be nailed to a thought of cross, uh, to, to a cross of thought or action. And he was a man of action. And the media thought this was a big joke. You know what a display of. Uh, you know they, they they just thought it was a show. So journalists, you know, they went to the front, and here's Churchill bullets whizzing by him, and, <laughs> and this journalist said. Mr. Churchill, you're you're operating in a very dangerous manner. And Churchill said, may I remind you, this is a very dangerous war. (laughs) But as I said, in the 40s, he was a backbencher in Parliament, and Joseph Stalin was talking with Lady Astor. Now, Lady Astor hated Churchill. She was part of that uh, left-wing element in the UK that sort of idolized the Soviet Union, sort of like Bernie Sanders does. There was a, bu- a bunch of them. There were a bunch of them. There were some in America too. They just uh, they idolized this uh, utopian system that uh, the Soviets were building until Stalin's purges, and then they were like, "Oh, <laughs> now Bernie Sanders is different. He idolized the Soviet Union after Stalin's purges. Figure that one out." But anyway, there were there were the Bernie Sanders types, you know, quite a quite a number of them. Before Stalin's purges, there were quite a significant number of them. And Lady Astor was one of them, and she hated Churchill. One time she was talking to Churchill, she said, If I were your wife, I'd poison your tea. And Churchill said, If I were your husband, I'd drink it. <laughs> but anyway, she was talking to Stalin one time, and uh, Stalin was asking her about different leaders different people in positions of power and in the UK, and she was telling him, and she was going through, you know, talking about different people, and and she didn't mention Churchill. So finally, Stalin said, you know, he was expecting her to, to say something about Churchill. Finally, he said, what about Churchill? And Lady Astor said, oh, he's finished. He's through, you know, he's nothing. And Stalin said, you wait. If your country is ever in trouble, he'll be back. And, of course, Stalin was right. So what put Churchill in power? World War II. You see, Chamberlain had uh, made an appeasement arrangement with Hitler. Talked about peace in our time. And then they had to watch Hitler, you know, coming across Europe and they ended up in war anyway, and uh, Churchill afterwards said, you had a choice, war or dishonor. You have chosen dishonor, and now you have war. But during this time, British intelligence was feeding Churchill, and probably illegally feeding Churchill information about German troop placements. MI6, I think it was MI6. MI6 is sort of the British equivalent of the CIA in the they were feeding Churchill information on German troop placement. So he'd get up in the parliament and say the Germans are going to do this and this. And people thought, boy, that guy's pretty perceptive. <laughs> but anyway, um, after Ch- Chamberlain's great disappointment, 
and disaster, they were willing to give Churchill a chance to do the job. And so a parliamentary system produced a very, very dynamic leader. But generally speaking, a parliamentary system militates against a non-establishment politician becoming the national leader because you've got to be chosen by the party in the legislative body. Okay, so I've shown you now how uh, it is that um, a certain type of person, such as Abraham Lincoln or Teddy Roosevelt or Donald Trump, could not be elected in a parliamentary system. But what I want to show you now is that the opposite is also true. So uh, let me look at the... uh, the two countries I mentioned, Germany and the UK, again, the reason why I chose them is because they have both selected very strong leaders who are women. The example in Germany, of course, is Angela Merkel, the current, what is it they call it, chancellor? And uh, the example in the UK is Margaret Thatcher. Margaret Thatcher from the previous generation, or maybe half a generation ago, the 90s, is that right? Or the, or 19, the 80s, actually. I think she, yeah, the 80s. She, she, she was in power about the same time. She was a contemporary leader of uh, Ronald Reagan. He, you know, the American presidency has two four-year terms. So he was finished in 1988. I think she left in, in 1990. And, of course, Angela Merkel in the, in the contemporary period. Now, of course, they, they're not without their enemies either. But... Margaret Thatcher generally is considered to be a very strong leader. And Angela Merkel, uh, she's right now in power, so, you know, it's it's debated. But I personally believe that in history she will be viewed as a strong leader. Um, So what kind of leader becomes a national leader in the parliamentary system? Why can't that happen in the United States? And the reason is that strong leaders like Angela Merkel or Margaret Thatcher could never be nominated in the American system. Now, why is this? Because the American system, uh, there's, a, there's a strong strain of identity politics. You know, Angela Merkel and Margaret Thatcher, they were not feminists who went around saying, I'm a woman, I'm a woman, I'm a woman, you have to vote for me, I'm a woman, I'm a woman, they would never do something like that. They would be embarrassed to tears. I mean, they would just, there's no way they would do that. They got where they were by working hard, working their way through the system, just like the men did, and doing those things better than the men did. Not by saying, okay, I have no experience and I don't know anything, but I'm a woman, I'm a woman, I'm a woman, I'm a woman, you have to vote for me. That wouldn't work in a parliamentary system. It works in the American system because people are gullible. You don't have to be approved by your party establishment. You have to be approved by the people. You have to be chosen by the people. And I should say that that's uh, more and more uh, recent development also because even in the American system, uh, not that many years ago, well, half a century, I guess, but I would say for the first uh, 
three-fourths of America's history, the candidates were chosen by the party pretty much. And that's why we have the expression, the smoke-filled room. Because when they got to the convention, the conven- the purpose of the convention was to choose the candidate. You know, in the smoke-filled room, they'd bargain, bargain and try to figure out who to choose. FDR showed up, I don't know if it was the second or third, which time it was. He showed up at the convention, didn't, didn't run any primaries, he showed up at the convention, got nominated. And I'll never forget, uh, I was in Miami Beach in the summer of 1972 at the Democratic Convention. I wasn't a delegate, I was out in the streets. And it was a, it was a crazy time, it really was a crazy time had a lot of different groups um, during the Vietnam period. You know, that was 1972. We talk about the 60s, but in America, when you talk about the 60s, it's actually maybe 63, 64 until the... Basically, the, the, the period of the, of the Vietnam War, 64 to 74, that's the 60s. The 60s actually sort of bleeds into the 70s. So this was the 1972, the end of the 60s period, and uh, it was a uh, it was a strange time. And so you you in the uh, as a, as the work of the convention is going on inside the hall, you have the protesters out in the streets. Now in Chicago, there 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 in 1968 there was terrible rioting. And the rioters who were punished in Chicago were uh, delegates in 1972, Democratic Party delegates. Jerry Rubin was a delegate, and I think, uh, I think if I'm not mistaken, Abby Hoffman was too. And Mayor Daley was out in the cold. <laughs> so the the radicals had become part of the party. I was doing a program with the uh, Miami Baptist Association, just sharing about the Lord and to different people, and and so there were a lot of different groups doing that. And uh, you know, it was a it was just a just a very unusual time, and a very troubled time in American history, very troubled and a lot of disillusionment. But I remember uh, Hubert Humphrey showed up at the convention and he wanted to be recognized as the nominee just showing up at the convention didn't run in any primaries and I thought to myself you know no way Hubert those days are gone (laughs) that dog don't hunt no more you can't do that anymore so the modern system where people run by uh, run in primaries and are elected directly by the people is is, is th- th- that's a recent development. I mean, there's always always been a certain element of it, but it's, it's a fairly recent development for there to be so much choice directly from the people rather than the party bosses making the decision. Delegates are chosen by direct primary elections on many many and caucuses, of course. But the result of that change, and again, that's a recent change. That's within the last 50 years, the last quarter of America's Well, yeah, quarter or fifth of America's history. I would say the last quarter or so of America's history. That's a recent change. 
And what is the effect of that? Now, in modern uh, elections, we know who the candidate's going to be before the uh, convention even starts. Because they're not chosen by the party bosses at the convention, they're chosen by the people through primaries. So by the time the convention starts, the leading candidate already has enough delegates to, to pass on the first ballot. So in the old days, they'd get together at the convention and then have a ballot and they'd bicker and talk a little bit and have another ballot and, and talk a little bit and maybe some candidate who was uh, very bottom and not get that many delegates, he might make some special deal with one of the other uh, candidates and okay I'll give you my delegates uh, classic example is uh, was it 1952 I can't remember if it's in 1952 or 1956 I think it was a 52 election where um, Eisenhower was running for president and uh, so was Earl Warren and Earl Warren didn't have as many delegates you know he wasn't going to win it was quite clear he wasn't going to win. So Ike said, you know, you should release your delegates. So Earl Warren said, okay, I'll release my delegates. They can vote for you. If you will uh, appoint me to the Supreme Court. So Ike went to Washington and went to the White House, and uh, Earl Warren became Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. That's how it worked in those days. But now... The delegates are chosen directly in primaries, and so the last few elections, they've known... When was the last time they had a contested convention? I think it was the last one I remember is Gerald Ford and Ronald Reagan in 1976. That was hotly contested, and Reagan almost got it, but he didn't quite make it. Ford became the nominee, but, you know, that was not established at all before by the time of the convention. But in modern elections, you know before the convention who the, the candidate. Now, it's, it's, you know, it's not guaranteed, and that's why they, they, they argue about it. They're arguing about it right now. That's why they asked the candidates, if we get to the convention and nobody has a majority, will you uh, accept the convention choosing the candidate? And they all said yes, except for Bernie. Bernie said, if I got the most votes, if I, I have not the most votes, but if I have more votes than any other candidate, I should be chosen. Well, that's not the way it works. The more votes than any other candidate, that's called a plurality. You have to have a majority. So this Democratic convention could be really iffy. But in modern, modern uh, conventions, the candidate usually has enough delegates by the time of the convention. What does that mean? That means that the choice of who ultimately becomes president is more and more coming directly from the people and bypassing the political establishment. That is in sharp contrast to a parliamentary system. Now, <clears throat> sometimes maybe Western or American feminist groups will talk about, will try to idealize these parliamentary leaders in other countries and sort of claim them as their own, but it's it's really not uh, accurate. You know, Saturday Night Live, they talk about Angela Merkel rolling her eyes at Donald Trump. That's complete nonsense. 
She's a very, very professional, respectful person. I have a very high regard for Angela Merkel. Uh, she um, she let in uh, a million refugees, or maybe it's 900,000, but extraordinary number of refugees from Syria. And she got a lot of criticism for that. I remember I was at a Think in China meeting in Beijing, a uh, bunch of intellectuals from uh, Italy put together a group, and uh, they had these lectures. And so this guy was talking, and I couldn't figure out where he's coming from because he kept saying, "I'm not from France. I'm not a Frenchman. I'm not a Frenchman." But he's had a strong French accent. And finally, at one point, he let slip that he was born in Algiers. And I said, "Oh, okay, colonialist." <laughs> and uh, he was kind of ridiculing uh, Angela Merkel. She's trying to help their economy because they don't have enough workers, so she's trying to increase the number. You know, there may be that amount of th that kind of thinking. She may have considered that aspect, but I still say it's very extraordinary to open your doors to, you know, a million people, nine hundred thousand, whatever it is. That's extraordinary. I believe in in years to come she will be viewed as a very strong leader in this generation. And uh, Margaret Thatcher, I remember when Bobby Sands was uh, doing a hunger strike, from which he eventually died. He wanted to become uh, a uh, wanted to be classified as a political prisoner, but he wasn't arrested for his political viewpoints. He was arrested for bombing. And Margaret Thatcher simply said, "Crime is crime is crime," and that was the end of the discussion. Very strong leaders. So, why is it that they could not be elected president? You see, I explained to you why uh, certain people in the American system could never be elected under a parliamentary government, but strong leaders in a parliamentary system also could not be elected under the American system. And the reason is because in America there is a visceral, demonic hatred for women who do not, who, are, who, who do not uh, take a strong feminist position. A, a woman who is just a leader of all the people is despised by the feminists. She has to be a flag-waving feminist, or she can never be national candidate. Now, one of the most recent examples is Governor Sarah Palin, who was chosen by McCain to be his running mate. And But she was not a classic feminist. So they were determined to destroy her. And uh, Saturday Night Live did a sketch about her husband, Todd, having sex with their daughters. It was disgusting. He's got to be doing those girls. Listen to me. That's not comedy. That's not funny. That's If you think that's funny, you're sick. That's mean. That's disgusting. But in America, there is a, on the part of the feminist movement, there is a visceral, demonic hatred 
for women who do not take a strong feminist position. It is inconceivable for a woman to actually become a national candidate without being an avid feminist. Now, Sarah Palin did another thing. She really committed the unpardonable sin because she had a Down syndrome baby and she carried that baby to term and allowed it to be born and welcomed and loved into her family. And the demons of darkness were furious. How dare she love that innocent child? So there is a very, very strong... If a, if a, if a leader, if a conservative uh, woman tries to become a national leader, they will, the, the women's groups in America will stretch her out and nail her to a cross before they will allow her to be a candidate in a national election. So let's change this question. Why is it that a liberal woman cannot be elected president? The reason a conservative woman cannot be elected president in the United States is because she can never be nominated, couldn't come close to it. So, but then that doesn't explain why a liberal woman cannot be elected president, because Hillary proved that a liberal woman can be nominated. Well, you tell me. I mean, uh, a liberal woman could not be elected in the European system either. Margaret Thatcher was a Tory. The Tory is a conservative party in Britain. Angela Merkel is a Christian Democrat. Christian Democrats are the conservative party in Germany. First Christian Democrat was Conrad Adenauer after World War II. And Conrad Adenauer was talking one time with uh, Billy Graham. Billy Graham was in his office. And Conrad Adenauer said, uh, Mr. Graham, do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, Billy Graham was taken aback. He said, but I didn't believe in the resurrection of Christ. I wouldn't have any purpose for what I'm doing. And then he said, why do you ask? And Conrad Adenauer said, outside of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I know of no hope for this country. That's the... Uh, cultural history of the German Democratic Party. Now, I'm afraid it's probably not quite that Christian now, but, you know, there is that element. It's a very, it's the conservative element in, in Germany. And uh, the Tories of conservative party in the UK. So if you complain that a liberal woman cannot be elected president of the United States, uh, elected national leader in the United States, that's not unique. Show me a country where a liberal woman is elected the national leader. Now, why is that? Well, a superficial look at it says, well, men can't accept, can't accept that. But in fact, it's women who cannot accept it. In 2016, Bill Clinton said, this is the year of the angry white male. No, it was the year of the angry white female. Hillary Clinton was a white woman, and 52% of white women 
voted for Trump. Why? Because he's such a refined, uh, polite gentleman? You see, women don't trust. Average women, real women, don't want a woman who's wants to be a man. They don't want women to be men. They want men to be men. And so the reason a liberal woman cannot be elected president is because it's very hard for a liberal woman to be elected national leader in any system. I don't know of an example of a liberal woman being elected as a national leader. If you can think of one, I'd be interested to hear what it is. But women, a liberal woman cannot be elected to national leader because women don't trust them. Women don't trust them. Not just men. Women don't trust them. Again, 52%, Hillary's a white woman, but 52% of white women voted for Donald Trump. And a conservative woman cannot be elected president because she can't doesn't have a ghost of a chance of being nominated in the first place. Okay, I think I've basically outlined how why uh, someone who could be elected in a, a, a strong woman leader who uh, could be elected in a parliamentary system would have very great difficulty in the American system. But I have to emphasize, I've said this, I guess I've basically made this point, but I really need to emphasize this. Um, uh, I chose the example of Angela Merkel and and Margaret Thatcher because uh, both of them were consummate professionals. They were not women who always talked about uh, identity politics. Can you ma- I, I can't imagine someone like Margaret Thatcher or Angela Merkel having a glass ceiling and talking about how finally a woman can be a leader. You know, they would be embarrassed to use that advantage. They were professionals. They were very good at what they did. Margaret Thatcher talks about, you know, she's working in her garden and she's really kind of interested in political things and and uh, she comes inside and is talking to her husband, Dennis Thatcher, and uh, telling him some of her thoughts and Dennis said, Maggie, why don't you why don't you run for office? Why don't you get involved in that? And she talked about talks about how, how relieved and how sort of release she felt when he said that, you know. She wasn't one of these raging feminists who throws her husband aside to seek for power, you know, not at all. She was just a a strong professional woman. Now, you know, she was a strong-minded person, don't get me wrong. In fact, I think in the end it was her own party that ousted her. She was in party power for a long time, what, 10, 12 years? And uh, I remember toward the end when she... I think it was her own party that was attacking her. Anyway, she was talking about this again with her husband. And uh, old Dennis Thatcher, you know, he said, Maggie, I think it's time to quit. And she resigned the next day. So um, these uh, women, both Margaret Thatcher and Angela Merkel, got where they got because they were consummate professionals, very bright, hardworking talented, uh, you know, not trying to use their womanhood as a political advantage because they didn't have anything else going for them. In America, I remember after the 2016 election, Bernie said something like, we've got to get rid of this identity politics. I'm a woman, so vote for me. And I'm like, Bernie, why weren't you saying that during the election? <laughs> you know, <laughs> she almost got elected 
but that's what we have, uh, identity politics. So much talk about, you know, I'm a woman, you have to vote for me. Because Hillary Clinton was a freshman senator. She had no experience. That, that, that just wouldn't go over in a parliamentary system. So there's the contrast. Now, so what do you think about that? Is that a bad thing? Is it a good thing? Does it matter? Do you think, oh, it's very, very bad that a woman cannot be elected president in the United States? You know, there was this argument between Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. She accused him of saying she couldn't be elected president. Well, I don't know if he said it, but I can say it, you know. And not not just because of her, just women cannot be elected president in the United States. But what about that? Should a woman be able to be elected president? Is it a good thing, a bad thing? That's what I want to talk about next. But uh, for today, we're going to leave it with that. And uh, So the, 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 the next discussion is, should a woman be allowed to be a president, run for president? Or should a woman be able to run for president and get elected president? A woman can run for president all they want, but should a woman be able to be elected president of the United States? And if we decide positively in the affirmative that a woman should be allowed to become president of the United States, what would have to change in the American system so that that could be possible? That's the third discussion. Okay, you guys, uh, we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for being with us, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is hosted online at beijingdiary.podbean.com. That's beijingdiary.podbean.com.